those of you who don't know our guest today, her name is Samantha, and I have had the pleasure of connecting with her on TikTok and now having her on the Salesy platform. She has actually been building brands since 2017 and has a wide array of knowledge when it comes to marketing, project management, and all of these things. Starting out on TikTok in 2020, she was helping small business owners with marketing fundamentals, and then she started offering coaching and consulting. In 2022, she did shift to education because she took a job to lead and grow a marketing team for a million dollar tech startup full time. Now she has left that job and so she is back in full-time entrepreneurship, which we talk about in the episode today. But there is just so many good nuggets from Sam because she has been playing this game for so long. So if you haven't gotten your notebooks out and you are not already starting to take notes, I would 10 out of 10 recommend that because this episode is so juicy that I'm probably actually going to go dive back into it. Welcome back to another episode of Salesy. I am excited for our guest today because you might already know her from TikTok. Her handle is Saturdays with Sam, and obviously her name is Sam. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I am so excited just to get to know you better and to talk all things today. So obviously we're going to start at the first place. How did you get into all of this? Yeah, so in high school, we can take it all the way back. Um, there was this organization that did business competitions and one of the categories was marketing and merchandising. So I started doing that and realized how much I loved it. And that was just like the number one thing I always looked forward to. So when I went to college, I concentrated in marketing with a degree in business. And then when I was there, I fell in love with entrepreneurship. Um, I started doing marketing internships, being a social media manager and contractor doing social media management in late 2017. So I've been in the game for a while now. Um, but throughout college, I kind of fluctuated on exactly what I wanted to do full-time, but I always freelanced and did social media management on the side in 2020. So the end of 2020, December, 2020, I started on TikTok and started creating content. Um, as I went through college and worked with different small business owners and organizations, I realized there was a lot of commonalities with what people get wrong showing up on social media and just marketing in general. So I started posting sort of fundamentals of marketing your business and starting a business. Um, that took off <laughs> quite a bit. Um, and then throughout the years, that's morphed into just overall money and finances and how to start a side hustle or full-time business. Obviously, we talk about a lot of different things at this point, and that's turned into more of a media business. Um, as my career has fluctuated as well. So um, was full-time in tech, then moved to running a marketing team full-time last year, um, was able to build and grow this team for a tech startup um, and really lead all efforts, which was so challenging and so much fun. Um, and then transitioned to full-time entrepreneurship this year. So I do freelance social media management full-time, and then I also do consulting and coaching as well. You have been in the game for forever. Wait, was the whole business in high school, was it DECA? Yes. <laughs> I looked at joining DECA my senior year and then I was just like, oh, I'm like, it's too late. Oh my God. DECA was, shout out DECA. So much fun. I actually went to Nashville with friends last weekend and the last time I went there was the DECA international competition. So it was so much fun. Yeah. Shout out to DECA. So Obviously sharing and posting on TikTok, you have started to grow this following and you have a pretty loyal following too. Like they will follow you to the ends of the earth. What is something for someone who is interested in TikTok? What is something you would tell them to start creating content? 
literally start. <laughs> I mean, I think that's overused a little bit. Maybe I don't think it's overused because I don't think enough people are starting, but I know people have said it, but like, if you're sitting there and you're just debating like, Oh, I want to join on TikTok, but I don't know what to post about. So many people say that to me and like, come to me with that. I'm like, okay, what do you like? If, if we could sit down and have lunch, like, what would you want to talk about? Like if you, it's the whole question of like, if you could talk about something for 20 minutes, like do a Ted talk, what would it be on? What are your friends always coming to you and asking you for recommendations on? Right. Like for me, it's business. And then like lately it's like skincare, but, um, it's always been, I've always been the person who like, if someone has a job offer, they're sending it to me and they're asking me if someone wants to start a business, they're telling me, and they're asking like, how do I see if this is viable? Or like, how do I market this? I've always been that person. And so it's, really just talking to a camera and like broadcasting that conversation to the internet. And the more you think about it as conversations with friends, I think the easier it is. And also the more authentic it is. Definitely takes the pressure off because I think a lot of people put this like pressure on themselves to be perfect and show up super professional. And that's not really the case with TikTok or creating any other content. I mean, the advice is so simple, but there's so many of you who just forget that it's like one video, just start with one video. It probably, it may go viral. It may not go viral, but the point is- It probably won't go viral. Like your first video probably won't. My first hundred, I don't know how many it took, but like hundred videos didn't go viral, but they slowly started targeting the right people. Like you don't even need a viral video um, in my opinion, but- yeah. Your, your first one may flop. That's okay. Like, it's actually so cool that you tried something and like, no one even like witnessed it. So you can just keep going. Like if you're embarrassed to start and you're embarrassed that it'll flop, like there's actually nothing to be embarrassed about because if, if it flops, quote unquote, no one's seeing it anyways, you know? Um, and then if it does go viral, I mean, that's awesome. So I see, I see it as a win-win scenario, no matter how it performs. I would definitely agree. And like, it's okay if it's cringy, if it flops, if it's not good, like nobody's born as a natural content creator. I think that's what a lot of people forget about is that like content creation is truly a skill. Marketing and sales are skills that you learn through refinement, but you can't refine something you don't start. It's like when you ask Siri and you're like zero divided by zero is still zero. You have to just get started. And the cool thing about TikTok that I've noticed is it is compounding because, you know, even if you're getting 200 views, you know, if you do that 10 times, that grows really fast where sometimes, you know, sometimes story views, you only get like 30. Yeah, I think TikTok is so cool too. Um, I actually like when I left marketing full time um, and stayed in it, of course, freelance, but it was because I just didn't like sort of the barrier to entry and pay to play that I saw on Instagram during the time. So this was during like the 2019 to 2021 era when TikTok really started um, to come into the game. I think that the ability to talk about something you're passionate about, talk about your business on TikTok just didn't exist on Instagram in that way because it was so focused on photos, like before reels came out. Um, and now like you're able, like anyone can, I don't mean to be cheesy, but like you could literally anyone now can create content. And of course there's good things like good lighting, but like, you don't need fancy equipment. You don't need a fancy camera, um, that all these, the barrier to entry is just so much lower. And I think has made so much more possible for small businesses and solopreneurs. Yeah. TikTok definitely changed the game because it did decrease that and you didn't need to do a photo shoot or know how to write these lengthy captions or even learn how to write copy. It was like, you literally just prop your phone up on the window and talk. What yeah. did your TikTok start as? Was it a marketing one? 
it was literally for small business owners. So it was very like, sometimes I see my old videos because they still like will get views and engagement and stuff. So I'll see it in my notifications from like literally 2020 and 2021, which if you ever, if you think you're cringy, just know I still feel cringy and like, <laughs> I'll see those videos. Um, but it's all, it was all marketing tips and like business tips for new business owners. So things like how to, how to register your LLC. Right. I think that's really intimidating for a lot of people, but really it's just on your like secretary of state's website. Generally the fees and process vary a little bit by state. So without knowing what state you're in, I can't give you like exact instructions, but if you look up start an LLC or register your LLC and your state's name and secretary of state, like you'll find it. Um, for me, it literally took like 30 minutes. It was, and that's with me double checking everything, right? Like it was two forms, um, and like a $30 fee to register. So that was yeah. one of the ones that like did really well, but then also like black Friday and like how pricing strategy affects your business, right? Like you, wherever you, your brand strategy and your pricing strategy work together. And so I create content around that. Um, and I'm actually starting to get back into that a little bit more. Um, it obviously branched out for a while and it's been interesting to see how my content's pivoted, just like my life has pivoted, right? Like in the beginning, I had a lot more time and energy to like engage with people. And I'm sure we'll talk about this, but like self-service is more versus when my career took a different direction, um, it became more of just like an educational platform where brands would sponsor my content. And that's where my primary income source was because I didn't have time to like work one-on-one -on -one with people or even build out as many programs um, as I did in the beginning. So, yeah, it's very interesting when it's like a side thing versus like it being an income producing. Cause like I have a casual like book talk on the side and I will go days without thinking about it because it's like, I do it for fun. It's a little passion project. It doesn't make me money. If it gets people to send me books, I'll take it. Cause you know, who doesn't love free books, but it is very different. And that's where you also have to have the mindset of like, this is a money generating activity and focusing less on like, oh, I need it to have lots of views or go viral for this one and focus on the consistency like you would in any other platform. A hundred percent. I think how you view it. And I've been actually reflecting on this a lot this week is like, what's the main differentiators between like doing this as a side hustle and full-time other than just income, but truly like having to use it to pay your bills. Like I think so many of us that are in careers and have side hustles and I'm not knocking side hustles. Like, I think that is a great way to differentiate your, like diversify your income streams, still have stability if you want that. Cause I think a lot of people need that, especially in the beginning. The problem I think that I ran into personally, and a lot of people do is that when you don't need it, like you don't need that income, you're not showing up like you would if you were doing it full time, like you're not, I don't even want to say trying as hard, but like there was a disconnect for me when I was doing it as a side hustle where like, well, I don't need, like, I don't have time this week to like build that digital product. Right. Like, cause I don't need this income, but like, if you were wanting to take it full time and like, now that I am doing it full time, like, Hey, I have more time and energy, which is a, another piece, I guess, but the mindset around it, just like, yeah, it's so different when you don't rely on it for income versus when it is your primary way to pay your bills. I think a side hustle, it's a hobby. And with any other hobbies we do in life, it's like you can put it down and pick it back up where it's like your income, it truly is. And there's there's a weird transition point from like, I remember it being a side hustle and then me quitting my job and it becoming full time. And a weird thing of like having to figure out, I had already worked from home, but having to figure out like how much time am I now spending? And then the other side of it, I don't think a lot of people talk about is when you're a side hustler, it's your hobby, right? And then when you go full-time in your business, you have to figure out a new hobby. 
Yeah. It's such a weird transition. Like what time do I wake up? Like when do I schedule meetings? Like truly, I think there's probably a playbook somewhere, but like there isn't one for what works for you. And nobody in school had like questioned that. Like no one sits there and asks you, like if you could design your day, your week, your entire year, how you want to, like, what would it look like? Like, how do you function best? Like, I always thought I worked best in the evenings, but it was solely because I needed a break between like a full-time job and side hustles and hobbies versus now, like I do my best work pretty early in the morning. So like my whole work style has transitioned from when I used to wake up like 30 minutes before I started work. Cause I was remote for quite a few years to end, like staying up and working until one or 2am to like, now I get up like by 7am. Um, like I am doing client deliverables and doing the majority of my work before like 1pm. Um, and that's just trial and error and figuring it out because no one knows how you work best. Yeah. I think that was the hardest part to figure out. And it's like, you own all of your time, which is great. You own all of your time, but like, you also own all of your time. And like, Sometimes you have to hit deadlines or get up earlier or figure out a cadence. It felt for me when I started that it was just like this mindless day bleed into other days. And so I had to figure out very quickly. I am also like you. I don't work well in the evening. I try to get most of my stuff done before like three o'clock because once three o'clock hits, I'm I'm garbage. And I know that, but it's hard because I think when you go to college too, you expect that you're going to be in this nine to five job and that's the cadence you're going to work. And then you have that little space, depending on how early you wake up before your job or before your commute. And then you have that space in the evening where it's like, now you have to figure it all out, which it's okay if you're in the beginning and you don't know it all. It definitely took me probably like two years to figure out my schedule and to figure out something that works for me week over week. Yeah, I had to very intentionally. Um, I mean, it's now what August as we're recording this. So it's taken me quite a while. Um, and I had to very intentionally be like, okay, this week I'm going to focus on getting up early and seeing like how this affects how I feel every day. And for me, it's not even just productivity, but I don't feel like I'm fully taking advantage of like owning my own schedule. If I'm working just normal nine to five hours, like I really enjoy the fact that if I get up early and I do my work, then not only am I productive and getting things done quicker, because when you're not having to work set hours, the quicker I can get stuff done, a lot of times the better. Um, but then I have afternoons, which I really enjoy doing activities in the afternoons, things like kayaking, walking, um, going to workout classes, like all those things that I enjoy take place in the afternoons. So that's what's valuable to me to have free versus like someone who has a family, they may want to have mornings free to take their kids to school or like have dinner time free. Like it's all so individual and it's just trial and error of figuring out what works best for you. Yes. We're already kind of on the topic of it, but what are some other things that you've seen transitioning from corporate to now being a full-time business owner, freelancer? Yeah. I think that like figuring out where to spend your time. Like, um, I saw a TikTok about this, um, this week that was like, oh my God, it's a like Monday afternoon. And I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing right now. So like having these awesome blocks of free time where you're like, what am I like? No, one's telling me what to do. And a lot of times for me, I'm like, okay, I'm going to use this time to like do my own marketing and do business development. I think, especially in the early stages before, before you have like a full or over the plate client load, depending on what your business is, you have just like these blocks of times where you're like, what am I supposed to be doing right now? Um, <laughs> and maybe even guilt of like, I feel like I'm supposed to be working right now, or I feel like I'm supposed to be doing something right now. I think that was like a weird experience for me at first. I don't know if you had anything like that. So yes and no. Um, 
When I came into business, I was working remote. So I kind of had a set schedule already. And then when I went full time, I never experienced the struggle to do my own marketing and sales because like, I always knew that was important after like struggling as a virtual assistant. I think the harder part for me with like scheduling was, you know, when you're done for the day being like done for the day. Cause like with my business, it was a hobby and that was my hobby. I was reading business books and I was learning it and I was getting so excited, but then it's like, okay, I did everything I need to do. I did my money generating activities. We're like ahead on projects. And then it was like, okay, do I like go, like, what do I go do now? Like, this has been my yeah. hobby for a year. So now I'm like, I have to find a hobby. Cause the other thing was, is I went to college and worked alongside each other. Yeah. And so school was kind of like that hobby for me. And I didn't have very much time graduating. I did, I graduated, then I did a year in grad school and started my business in grad school. And so I was balancing both. And then I decided to drop out of grad school. And that's where it was like, what do I do with all of this? You know, I had my list every day. I was checking off my list and then it was like, okay, like there were afternoons where I would sit in my office and be like, I have no clue what I should do with myself. Yeah. And I was like, do I just like get ahead on a project, even though we were already months ahead? Yeah, no, I think it's, it's the same thing. It's just for me, same thing too. Like my hobby for like literally since I was probably like in college early on was always business and freelancing so like or like they were they were pre they were described hobbies like prescribed to me so like dance when I was in high school and college or like certain sports that I got into I feel like as an adult it can get a little bit harder um I am trying to sign up for like intramural leagues here or like a pottery class like I'm finally at that point where I'm trying to like find new hobbies that interest me Yeah. I think one of the biggest things I experienced shifting from corporate to remote to being a full-time business owner is it went from having a boss and having this overarching and them kind of dictating what needed to get done and how to get done. And then when I worked remote, technically when my mom was my boss, um, shout out to my mom. I love you, but she was not the best boss in the world. So I kind of, I love my mom, but that was not her forte. And then it was just like becoming the boss and there was nothing above you. And that to me, I think I had a lot of on time in my first year that I could have taken time off and been off because it was like, what if the team needs me? Or what if this client needs me at, you know, 8 PM at night when they probably didn't need me. And I could have answered it that next day. It's interesting though, because like what I experienced when I was managing is that I was kind of always on call and being on call for 11 months, like I didn't realize how deep it ran of constantly, like if someone didn't come into work and there was nobody who could cover the shift, it was like me or the other manager and me and the other manager lived relatively, we lived like 15 minutes apart from the location. And then we lived five minutes apart from each other. And that's why we were actually at that location. So that was, I think like the hardest part for me was also transitioning to like, I can put my phone down, I can walk away and like nothing's, you know, we work in marketing. We're not saving lives. There is nothing that is on fire. Not the ER. (laughs) That's a good one. Yeah. I'm not original. I definitely stole that from somewhere. Um, I'm not sure where, but I did not, I cannot take credit for that saying. I don't think I, like most of my one-liners are not original. They've all come from somewhere. So I'm just like, I am a mosaic of good (laughs) one-liners. Yeah. I, 
I think for me, like going from running a team to like being on my own, it's been interesting because I always felt like when I was managing and like growing a team, that was an incredible experience, but I felt a lot of times like it was, okay, I get to come up with ideas to an extent. And so that was some of the experience I do now, but like, I have to get it approved by leadership still. And then I like out, what's the word? Um, I give it to other people to like execute on. Um, there's a word that's for that, that I cannot think of right now. Um, delegate. Yes, that is it. Um, I learned to delegate. Um, but at the end of the day, my ass was always the one on the line for it. So the stress of delegating and then getting everything approved and then balancing so many projects was a lot. And when I went into full-time freelancing, I very much was, I don't want to grow a team. Like I would love to have like an assistant to like bring on a, like help in the sense of like a CPA or like fractional help like that, but I don't want to sit there and like buy myself that job back again. Like, I don't want to sit here and like manage a 10 person team. I know some people do, and I love that for them and to each their own. But I realized for my life, like, I don't want that stress again. That was not healthy for me. Um, so like working just like yourself with clients, there's just so many less, like, I don't have employees whose jobs are like, I'm responsible for, I'm not responsible for someone else's career growth. Like maybe my mind will change in the next year, two, three years. But right now, like I'm really enjoying both being able to dictate what projects I invest in and work on and what clients I work with, but then also just being responsible for just myself. I think it's not a trend for people wanting small teams and not to have a lot of overhead because I think we've seen these like massive agencies and some of them are very successful and they do a very good job and they have very good leadership. But I think there's also some horror stories out there. I realized this time last year that I didn't want to run an agency when I was running one and realized that like most of my day was getting eaten up by the same things that I left where it was client issues or I remember I had an employee who just didn't log on and they were supposed to do work. And I'm like, where the fuck are you? And you know, the difference is, is like, yeah. When you manage, you call them and you're like, Hey, like your job's on the line. But when it's contractors, it's like, Oh, severing the contract. It's, I think it's also something you learn as you grow too. And that's the hard part too, is because I feel like a lot of the narrative is pushed inside the online space right now is like build some tech-esque company where you can build something very massive and you're not inside of the day-to-day you're like the visionary. And then, you know, maybe you exit sell it or something. And I just, I'm in the same boat as you where I'm like, I don't want like some massive team either. Yeah. I was, I, I mean, I still am in the tech startup space and that used to be like a big dream of mine was to have a tech startup, but the dream that's sold to you about like, you're just the visionary is just so unrealistic for the beginning and like most of running a company, like you get to be the visionary, but then you also have to be responsible for all of these people and like help, like manage their like jobs and like all of these different things where I don't think it's not like you just get to sit in your room all day and like dream up what's next for the company. I think some people have achieved that and that's amazing, but I don't think that's realistic for your first few years of business at all. Oh no. I don't think it's realistic for your first like seven years tech or not. Like that's, I think a lot of maybe the narrative that's getting pushed right now. And it's like, no, you do still have to work. So you have gone through quite a few pivots with your business. Yes. Give me like the full rundown of all the pivots and then we can kind of dive into each one of them. Yes. Okay. So um, 
in college, I just took some like contract and freelance jobs that like appeared on internship sites. Like that was my first experience with like freelance work was like internships that were just designed more like freelancers and then morphed into freelance contract positions. And I enjoyed that. And then it was like, okay, I have a market marketable skill that businesses need and they're posting roles for. So I just kept doing that for a while. And when I was in college, we, I did pro bono consulting for like local business owners and I loved that. And so, okay, nope. A, I have marketable skills I'm using to freelance. B, I'm doing this pro bono. I wonder if people would pay for this. But I never had an avenue where I was like, how do I like actually advertise consulting and like coaching business owners like this? Um, So TikTok came around. And as I was posting like tips and education, I had no actual ambition to turn that into a business at first, other than like, if on YouTube, you get like earnings from making videos. Like that was my idea of what this business could consist of. I didn't realize how much was involved in like sponsorships. And all of that. So I started posting and then people started asking to work with me. Like, as you start posting content about these things, like business owners started reaching out and they're like, can I pay you to like do an audit of my Instagram? Can I like pay you to like do a call and like all these questions. And so I started offering, I think my first, the first thing someone ever bought from me online was an Instagram audit. Um, and I was so excited. Like I made like this website on Wix uh, it was so exciting. I literally almost cried and it was like a $50 order. Um, but like just the satisfaction of making something and selling it to an audience for the first time, like felt so just, I owned it and it was something I enjoyed so much. I then started offering, um, like I did a monthly coaching, uh, group coaching service. So then I was able to help more people at a lower cost. Um, and it was recurring. So then I was like, okay, I want something that's guaranteed to book every month. So that was my experiment with that. And I liked it. Um, And then I did one-on-one coaching. So that was like my first year of services. Um, However, at the time, my career started to pivot back to marketing because I had done this content and proved that I was on top of like TikTok and content. I was able to full-time pivot my career back into marketing to leading that tech startup. And that took so much more time and energy um, than my previous job that I couldn't be working with people one-on-one. Like I just didn't have the bandwidth for it. And the quality of my services started to decrease. So I just kind of shut it all down. Um, I stopped selling anything, but I still really enjoyed the content as a hobby, like as a creative outlet again, when there wasn't the pressure of having to deliver services. So um, as I was working full-time in marketing again, leading that team, leading the marketing, I just posted on content about like my job, about negotiation, about side hustles, about some just marketing in general. Um, And then as everything's pivoted now, I had to make a very like just big decision on now that I'm a full-time freelancer, like that happened pretty quickly. And what do I do now? Like, do I start talking about services again and pitching it to my existing audience? Do I start a new channel? Like that's been honestly a constant debate for me. Um, I do have a loyal audience. I think that sometimes I get frustrated just like anyone else on views and engagement. Um, I think that from my experience, having different audience sizes and running different types of businesses, it's almost a better advantage to be selling to a smaller audience because you're able to like sell to such a like niche that I think it's easier to build out programs for that niche and be really clear in your messaging versus now that I've talked about and pivoted my content so many times, I do struggle with the fact that like some of my audience is interested in side hustles. Some of it's freelancing. Some of it's like 
content creation. Some of it's just negotiating your salary because I produced a lot of videos on salary negotiation um, that obviously performed really well. And I'm passionate about that, right? Like no matter if you work a full-time job, you are freelancing, like asking for your worth and being comfortable asking for more money is something I think every person should, and especially woman, um, should practice and like get comfortable with and no matter what you're doing. Um, so, so I struggle with that, um, going back to being a business owner again and looking at programs, but I really enjoy having my content as a media business. First and foremost, I'm starting to increase, um, or introduce back in some services as I have more time and energy now that I own my own schedule and I enjoy it so much. Um, and so I'm starting to be able to do things like consult more and coach more again. And interesting enough, it happened in the same way. Like I wasn't offering services still earlier this year. And, um, a like product studio that has a couple startups, um, contacted me to do freelance work for them. And then the owner actually contacted me to do like a one-on-one session with her. And she's like, Hey, like, do you do this? And it was so funny because it's the exact same thing that happened before. Like you're just creating good content and then customers are asking to work with you. And so that was a big sign that like, okay, I want to start doing this again. I missed it. I love doing it. Um, and so I started to like introduce that back in. I'm working on some different digital products just because when I worked with small business owners, so many times we would get on these one-on-one sessions and they would ask the same, like all of them would ask me the same questions basically. And there is definitely an advantage to working one-on-one with an expert and being able to have them tailor, like answer every question you have and create a strategy just for you. But a lot of small businesses experience the same struggles and problems and could benefit. Like I could do one call for like a hundred people. And so just figuring out how to best offer that to an audience is something I'm working on like this month. Um, whether that's a mini course, whether that's a workshop, I miss doing those too. Um, or whether that's like some sort of ebook, um, that's something I'm currently working on because I know so many of the questions that were asked to me repeated over and over. And at this point, like my rates may be out of budget for a lot of these small business owners who I used to enjoy really working with like that audience who needs the help. So trying to find a way to offer that at a more affordable price, that's not one-on-one is something that. I think about every day. So that was such a long (laughs) rant about all of my pivots. That's okay. That is something a lot of people think about all the time. And as you grow as a business owner, it's really easy to start figuring out of like, okay, you know, is this something that's hands-on versus hands-off? I know when I was first launching group coaching, I would say group and I'm like, you have to have the full thought. It was like, okay, I can get on one call each week, answer a bunch of questions. And then we actually wrote down the questions that people were asking. So we could start layering it in to the program. So it was less of like, what is this? And it was more questions of like, how does this apply to me? I want to circle back though, because you did say something that I think a lot of people are like, what, where it's small audience sales are easier sometimes. Yeah. So like it's, I think niches are really cool and are like underrated because I feel like a lot of TikTok is like anti-niche. Like I don't belong in a box. They're like, I am the niche. And you're like, no, you aren't. Well, and like, actually, even if you are, you are a literal niche. Like if you are a 
like mom who works full time and has a side hustle and is trying to balance it with her kids and like drinks out of Stanley cups and like loves Starbucks, but also loves target and not did like other designers. Like you are a niche. Like, even if you're like, I am the niche, like either you, you aren't like you do, like your content falls into a bucket, but like, even if that's like really your argument, you also represent like a demographic that you're going to attract. If you are purely talking about like yourself and those things. But a hundred percent, I think selling to a niche audience is so freaking underrated because if you start creating content and you have an audience of 200 people, but you have such specific messaging, you're like, I build one page websites for massage therapists. Um, and then even if you can niche down like lower than that, and you're like, um, massage therapists in like this location or like who target like a certain demographic, um, like you can get really niche like that. You may only have 200 people, but you are being able to talk directly to 200 people who likely fall in your exact target audience because you have such specific, clear messaging that they are being drawn to that. Um, I think that's underrated. Like that is, that was easier for me because there's no pressure from different people. You're not having like um, I think it's easier to reach that audience, right? Like once you have a bigger audience, the people that these social media apps share your content to are the people who have engaged in your content. So if you're catering to multiple different demographics and audiences within one like platform and following, I think that's a lot harder, harder than like starting small and like just building it very, very niche. Um, yeah, I think there's just less pressure too, right? Like, you know, who your audience is. Um, and as you figure that out, maybe you don't at first, maybe you're like, okay, Sam, I don't know that much. Like, I don't know that I want to target like massage therapists who cater to suburban moms or like couples. I only know that like I build one page websites and like, then just talk about the ones you've done. And like, you can sort of find your niche from there. Um, but a hundred percent, it's so much easier. Like I have thought about starting a new page just for some sort of niche, like building a niche service and creating another page just to sell that niche service. It's like working with say service-based business owners on content marketing. Like that thought has crossed my head, like through my mind a hundred times in the last two to three months, because it would be so much easier for me to build a separate social media page with content only on that to sell that offering than doing it necessarily to a larger audience that I have. I mean, I'm like the queen of small audience sales. I did my first hundred thousand in sales in eight months of my business. And I don't think I had more than a thousand followers. And I focused very specifically on virtual assistants, online business managers, Pinterest managers, or any type of service pros who wanted to build their business. And then in what was that? Feb, March. So like three months before I did it. So like the majority of my sales were still coming from service providers. Then I shifted into sales because I was already teaching sales back end. The thing is, is for so many people, they think that they need to have this massive audience to make lots of money. And it's actually not what you think it is. And the thing I think a lot of people struggle with with TikTok is it is a numbers game on TikTok. I will admit that with some of my clients who have larger followings on TikTok, like one follower on Instagram sometimes feels like you need a hundred or a thousand on TikTok because yeah. they're not as active and they're not, they're not as business savvy. And that's not saying anything about like the people are dumb. It's just getting on Instagram and getting in the business world and Instagram, you figure out what you want really fast. The thing about that is, is when you're speaking to one person and you speak to them really well, it shrinks down your conversion process. And that's where most people struggles because 
I personally, I am multi-passionate as a human. I don't want to be multi-passionate as a business owner. I want to ride a one trick pony. I want to be Warren Buffett. I want to ride a one trick pony well into my eighties if I need to. And that's where the conversation is of also refinement too. If you're working with these people month over month, doing relatively the same service or services or teaching the same thing, there's an opportunity for refinement. But where a lot of business owners are getting stuck with I am the niche or this nicheless mentality is you're lacking refinement because you're not doing something. It's the same as like going to the same yoga class every week and getting better at one specific thing versus going to yoga and kickboxing and Pilates and then wondering why you're not doing better at it. The hard part though, and I haven't experienced is amassing a large following and then deciding what do I do? What is the most scalable and those types of things. I mean, it's very normal though, to figure out like, how do I deliver something or like, what is going to be the best use of somebody else's time and my time as well, because that's the other part of like figuring out audiences and selling and figuring out price points and those types of things. I think you made a really good point that I'd like to add to in the difference between building an audience on Instagram versus TikTok as a business owner is I also think not... Um, I haven't experienced like whether people are more business savvy on TikTok, but I have experienced that people are more ready to buy and invest and are used to consuming business and educational content on Instagram than on TikTok. So if you're thinking about the mindset people are on when they're on these apps, a lot of times on TikTok, they're just scrolling through and if they're not actively consuming business content and you land on their feed, like they're not necessarily in a mood to buy where I feel like that's a little bit different on Instagram. I feel like people are a lot more used to and in that headspace on Instagram than people are on TikTok. I think it's just a difference in like platforms as well. Um, and then also the fact that Instagram majorly shows your content to your followers versus on TikTok. Like if you look at where your content is going um, after you post, like mine's like 75% for you page still. Like the majority of my audience is not seeing every single video on TikTok. TikTok really says like post and pray. They're going to send it out to the FYP and people are out there. Like they are literally like, I feel like this is a mission to the moon and like, hopefully I'm going to get there. It's like the Oregon trail and like, hopefully all the people get there. The cool thing about content marketing though, that a lot of people forget, and you could definitely speak to is that like, if you're really good on one platform, people will seek you out on another platform. And so while they may not be fully ready to buy on TikTok, and they may see your TikTok and then slide into your Instagram DMs. I actually had someone reach out to me like literally at 6 a.m. this morning. I was still sleeping <laughs> in my bed and she was like, I saw your TikTok and I realized I needed help with this. So that's the other thing I think people are forgetting with that of marketing. You mentioned kind of in pre-roll about marketing as a new business owner. What kind of advice would you give around that? Yeah, I think to your point about pushing people to different social medias. I think, yes, that is like sort of a traditional strategy of you're pushing people from one platform to another as part of your like marketing funnel. So you're taking people, if your TikTok is more of these like reach videos, they're more geared towards like planting a seed in your audience versus you want to move people to Instagram to convert. Maybe you have a lot more selling content on there. A hundred percent. You can also use that to test how you convert people. Like, are you converting people well just to Instagram versus your website? If you don't have one yet, hundred percent. Um, marketing as a new business owner, I think two things, 
this is ironic because I built my entire platform on education. If I could go back and change it and I was still making like small business owner content like I was back then, I was producing so much content about what I knew because I I felt the need to prove that. Like I know what I'm talking about, but I think that people who create like really successful online businesses, and I think you can speak to this, are selling more than just creating like knowledge-based content. Like I don't need to be the thought leader in marketing, like Instagram marketing for your small business. I can create content on that all day. That doesn't necessarily convince you to buy from me. I think I could have done a lot more sales oriented content than I did. I mean, I am in the vein of always be selling, but that's also because like people don't realize how much it actually takes. I always say like one day I would love heat mapping on like TikTok or Instagram to see how long someone is spending on your page and looking at your different posts before they go and venture out to a sales page. They would never give that to us. They would never do that because it would be a violation of like private data. But the thing is, is people get so hung up on sales being sleazy and icky and gross. And what if I sell and what if I get canceled because I'm selling and they get out their pitchforks and it's like at the end of the day, your business or side hustle is designed to make money. And the easiest way to make more money, if you are already consistently creating content and you know who you're speaking to is to sell more. It's just getting over the mindset of it. And I didn't really struggle with it because I came from a sales job. And so I learned, you know, every single day I was going into work and it wasn't a question of whether or not I had to sell. It was like, when I worked at Massage Envy, it was like, literally we had a clipboard and it had people's names on it and what time their appointment started and when it ended. And I was going to pitch the membership at the end. When you adopt that mindset of like, I'm just going to sell anyways, one, it compounds over time because the average consumer needs to see something up to 42 times before they buy, which is a lot now. And it also allows you to catch people who find you at any time because the beauty of social media that a lot of people forget is that new people are finding you every single day and new people can find you and buy from you that same day. I actually experienced this on Saturday where this girl found me. She joined my email list before even like the scheduled sequence went out. She had already joined my membership and then emailed us to buy something else that she had saw that like wasn't on our website. And that's just the power of like, showing up and selling. Cause if I didn't sell that day, I can guarantee there probably wouldn't have been that first initial story that she saw that then she would have bought from. A hundred percent. I think that a, especially with social media and TikTok, like I see people seeing my old content all the time. So just because, um, like people are coming in all the time from other content. So you need to be constantly selling and especially on stories. I think that's really helpful. Um, But I also think that's a great example of some people are just ready to buy. Like some people are looking for a solution. And when you're making content that sells them that solution, like they are looking for a say, like an Instagram audit. Like I don't need to make content necessarily on like your header on Instagram or your bio, then they'll follow me. But if I say that I have this product or service, they may not know that unless I'm sitting there telling it to them um, that they're ready to buy. Different consumers take different amounts of time. And we can, that gets into like, what kind of consumer are you targeting and like meeting them where they're at in their buying process. But I agree with everything you just said. Yeah. I think a lot of people just forget too, that their sales on TikTok is a little bit different. It's not directly selling. You're kind of vaguely selling. And I think the platform is set up that specific way because they knew it would be such an educational driver where like Instagram, like my 
easiest way to sell is like, if you struggle with X, Y, and Z and you don't want to struggle with it anymore, here's how I'm going to help you. Because the thing is, is sometimes people get so in their head about like making it quirky or not salesy, which I personally love the word salesy. If I ever got a tattoo about my business, it would probably be the word salesy, but I saw the girl who got her business tattooed on her wrist and then had to close it. So I will never do that. But those fears are normal. And then there's a larger conversation about like, are you here to make money and make consistent, profitable income month over month, year over year? Or are you more willing to be stuck in that and continue to make educational content and hope that someone buys? Yeah. I think a lot of it's like a fear of like, for me, it was like annoying people or overwhelming people or whatnot, but like, am I more worried about being annoying than I am making money and being able to generate income to pay my bills? Like that was a big shift for me. I think, um, going to full-time of like, I have no other choice now. Like I have to pay my bills. So like, I need to be showing up. And then also like, I don't know. I just don't think like a bunch of men and other people show up and like are worried about being annoying when they're selling their product. Like a lot of my content is focused towards like um, like women and first time female founders. And I think a lot of it's because like, I struggled with a lot of like unlearning this fact that like, Oh, if I talk about what I'm selling, like I'm arrogant or I'm annoying and all of these things that I've had to like work through that I'd even know, like I was experiencing until like someone laid it out in front of me. It was like, well, what? like, you're worried about going to your stories about people who follow you for this content and information and telling them how you can actually help them by sharing the services that you offer. Like what's annoying about that? Um, so yeah. If they don't like it, they'll unfollow. If they hate it, they'll block you. Does it matter at the end of the day? No. Losing followers on that note is actually such a blessing. And it's so good to have this reframe. I think that like, if you see yourself losing followers, it's okay because they were never going to buy from you anyways. And now you have more people following you that are interested in what you are selling. So from an algorithm perspective, when social media shows your content to your followers, you have a higher percentage chance of them engaging with it and actually going further. So anyone who follows you, unfollows you, that's a blessing. You'd rather have them than people lurking and not engaging anyways. Yeah. I mean, the fear of like ostracization is very real in that sense. I know that when I lose a lot of followers, it's because I've taken a bold opinion. And like right now I'll tell everybody this. I don't care. Like manifestation is not a sales strategy. And the people who unfollow me are the people who were never going to buy. They're also the people who probably show up in a container and think that it is. The problem with that is just again the fear of ostracization and that people aren't going to like you and as long as you remember like your mom your dad your dog you know the core people in your life probably don't consume your social media they don't even know what you do I ask my boyfriend on a regular basis I'm like do you do and he's like I have an idea but I have no clue and I'm like good because I know nothing about what you do <laughs> yeah. those people they will always like you but that's the other thing of like in business you have to understand that people are going to have a projection and an opinion of you that you can't manage that is just their perception and when you understand that when you create content when you price your services you launch something really anything you know the people who say oh that's expensive or oh I would never say that or they unfollow you or the trolls on TikTok there are a lot but the trolls on TikTok like those people aren't going to buy and so you can focus your energy on the people who will buy a thousand percent We're almost at the end, but if they love you, where can they find you? 
Yeah, it's at Saturdays with Sam on TikTok. I also recently ventured back into Instagram content creation again. So it's at Saturdays with Sam on Instagram as well. Um, it's been interesting growing, like starting from scratch there once again, but you can find me either place. Um, you're also always welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, Samantha Linger, um, anywhere. Um, I'd love to hear like if you have any questions or what you've thought. Um, always welcome DMs. I always, I respond to every single one. So yeah. We'll link everything down in the show notes. And thank you so much for coming on Salesy. Of course. I've loved our conversation.